Well, turn to Exodus with one finger and Psalm 15 with another, and yet Ephesians 4 with another. And uh, again, this is unusual uh, for me. I like to take one text and dig all the way through and typically preach through books. But some of these latter commandments, as we go through the Ten Commandments, uh, would be a, a, a little short, and I'd be adding a lot of me and, and to uh, to trying to dig out. So we'll be in the ninth command, but then we'll look at what the Scripture has to say about it. Well, we're getting close to Christmas. Sorry if that's frightening for some of you. For those of us who buy one gift, uh, it's not as frightening, especially those of us who buy one gift, usually about December 24. Um, it's not near as, uh, as frightening, but anyway, it is getting close to Christmas. We've all read those Christmas letters. You know, the ones of those people that you say, who? I thought I knew these people. They're a lot more amazing and wealthy than I ever thought. Well, a few years back, we were doing a Christmas card and a letter, and I decided that at least in the beginning, I'd tell the truth about our year. And so I read to you in part. This year, we had one broken bone, many sprains, six drivers in our house, two small wrecks, multiple plumbing issues in our old house. We got chickens. We sold our chickens. <laughs> 365 days of this year, we had a mess in at least one part of our house. We had way too many disagreements in our house. For most of them, we apologized and forgave. We were late to a lot of events. Many days, we left the house with at least one person in unmatching socks, many times with toes poking through the socks. We posted pictures this year on social media that made it appear that we are always clean, hair-combed, tidy, and happy. Wouldn't it be interesting to post the real pictures? We spent a lot of money at the grocery store this year, but somehow God kept providing. We had four children in braces, and yet somehow God kept providing. We had one boy who worked for the funeral home. Don't ask. <laughs> Today we talk about honesty in all of its forms. If you're in Exodus 20, verse 16, you see that ninth command you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, oftentimes you'll see this referred to as do not lie, and, and there's reason for that because that is true. But we just kind of back up and look at the background here. Bearing false witness against the neighbor was indeed very, very serious, still is. But you see the court system, and they had the court system, although they may not have had courthouse buildings like we would think of, the court system required was based on, and still is, but was based on those personal testimonies. And through the gathering of just a few, two or three false testimonies, you could completely ruin someone and have them put to death, just like we saw in the story of our Lord. It was the false witness, the false testimony that had him put to death. As one has said, and is so true, in the Ten Commandments, oftentimes we'll see the commandment in its perhaps worst 
possible form. Again, in this case, you could cost someone their life. But then the rest of the Scripture, the Lord and the rest of His inspired writings through other writers, will elaborate and help us to see all the ramifications, all the possible ways that that also could be true, even when it doesn't cost someone their life. And so we'll look at that a little bit today and uh, and look at why this? You know, some of these commandments would be easier to group together and, and kind of pass over quickly. Thirty years ago when I preached through the Ten Commandments, the only other time that I ever have, I did that. But some of these, by taking them one at a time, it gives a greater emphasis on why the Lord would choose to make such a big deal about something like honesty. Yeah, it's a big deal to the Lord. In Revelation 21, let me just read to you this list. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, we know from the context of Scripture that the Lord is not saying you lie once, you're going to hell No, we are saved from hell by admitting that all of us are sinners and that we need a Savior who was Jesus Christ. But those who have an ongoing sinful lifestyle with no concern, no care, doesn't bother them a bit, they probably have not come to know Christ as their Savior. Therefore, he has this list. But there it is with immoral and murders and liars, a big, big deal to God. Why is that? Well, I would be remiss if I wouldn't remind you of that young man who didn't have pants on. And it's not exactly his fault. He couldn't wear his pants because they were on fire and they were hanging from a telephone wire. You remember that. Some of you as children, liar, liar, pants on fire. And as one has pointed out, wouldn't it be nice if you just, if you lied, your pants were on fire. We just know who was lying, the ones with the pants on fire. Well, it's not that simple. And that, again, has nothing to do with anything. But I include it for free for you this morning. But bearing false witness against our neighbor... What we'll see today really is that all dishonesty is against our neighbor. We think of lying as just something that's just personal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Just between me and, and God. We really don't even want it to be between us and God. But the scripture says, no, all lying, all dishonesty really is against someone. What are some ways that we lie? Well, there's just that basic, just telling something that's just flat not true. That's a lie, of course. Those things that we imply knowingly, knowing that they're not true. Lying to our parents. Lying to our spouse, to our siblings, to other believers. Lying on our taxes. Tell me when you want me to stop. False appearances. Excuses can be a form of dishonesty. Exaggeration can be a form of dishonesty, partial truths, white lies, withholding truth, slander against someone else, gossip against someone else can be dishonest and lying. And then finally, I'd add lying to yourself. Many times we do. We lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves things we want to be true that are not true. And yet the scripture makes it a big deal. God says in Psalm 51, through David, that he desires, God desires truth in our inmost being. None of us are there yet, but God wants us to be true from the core of our being. He wants everything we ever say to be true. 
Now understand today that I'm not talking about saying true things that you don't need to say. I don't like your hat. You know, that's true, but that's not the kind of truth we're talking about. You just keep that kind of stuff to yourself. That's not lying. That's okay. But it's a big deal to God. The first sin ever, as some have pointed out, was the devil's lie. The first lie ever was the devil's lie to Eve. Oh, it's okay, Eve. God didn't really say that, did he? And it goes on from there. The scripture calls the devil the father of lies. So there alone gives us an importance that if I'm lying, I'm following after the father of lies. The devil is the father of lies. I remind you today is on the calendar two different holidays, one much more important. It is Halloween, but it is also Reformation Day, that one being the most important holiday of the day. And we have a harvest festival tonight. It's not a Halloween party on purpose. Like it or not, Halloween has some very, very dark associations and origins. But we use this day to try to reach our neighbors with the gospel. And so I encourage you, if you haven't already signed up or to be a part of that, it's a wonderful, wonderful outreach here, one of our best in the year. But we're not celebrating with the father of lies, the devil. We're celebrating our walk with Christ and our desire to reach our neighbors. We're going to look at Psalm 15 for a moment here, if you've got a finger there. Psalm 15, I'll just read these four verses to you. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does he does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. Just briefly, this is a great text for us to understand a little bit more about honesty and truth from our inmost being. He starts off, Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? Now we know again that the way to abide in his tent, to go to heaven is to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. If you've never come to know Christ, you've never had that experience where you've admitted Christ, admitted to Christ that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that you believe that Jesus, who was God, came to the earth, lived without sin, died and rose again to pay for my sin, to pay for yours. That's how you know God. That's how you know that you will dwell in, abide in his tent. But then he gives us a description of what that will do to you. What that person will be growing in. None of us are perfect in these ways, but it's what ought to be working itself out if the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. What is an American? Uh, Nobody knows. It's someone who holds U.S. citizenship. But then you can look at what comes out, what an American typically does. Well, this is what a believer ought to be at least growing in. Walking with integrity. This is truth. This is truth when no one's looking. Integrity is more concerned about pleasing the Lord and doing the right thing, even though you think there's no possible way anyone could ever know. More concerned about that than being caught. That's integrity. No one's looking. I do it anyway. And he works righteousness. And we're just going to hit the parts that are really speaking more about honesty. All of them really are about an honest person from the inside out. He does not slander with his tongue. It's so easy to slander. Scripture talks about how good it feels and how good it sounds to slander others. We must work against slandering one another. He doesn't slander with his tongue, nor does he do evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his friend. All these things having to do with the honest way that we treat one another. 
Verse 4 is on another subject, but it's so, so true. As believers, we sometimes switch this around. We sometimes honor the reprobate who is famous. And we despise the believer who's not quite like me. He says, no, that's not what we ought to do. The reprobate lifestyle is to be despised. And I need to honor those who are fearing the Lord. And sometimes someone else's fear of the Lord looks different than mine. Doesn't mean I have to do it that way, but I need to honor their desire to fear the Lord. And then finally, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. If he says he's going to do it, if she says she's going to do it, it's going to happen. They promise they're going to do everything within their being to make it happen. That's that person that when they say they're going to do it, you know it's done. You don't have to follow up. You don't have to worry about it. They swear to their own hurt, and they do not change. Honesty. Where are you at in this? As you look at Psalm 15, it's probably a little bit painful because none of us are there yet. But is this the the type of person you desire to be as the Holy Spirit of God works himself through you? To be someone that is honest from the inside out. In all of our communication, honest. Honest in the way that we treat one another. Honesty is something we have to teach our children from an early age. Parents, you don't have to teach your children how to lie. Can I get a witness? I've never taught any of my children how to lie. My parents didn't teach me how to lie. But uh, all of us come at it really good. We had a rule when I was growing up. I don't know if you had a rule like this, but if I got a spanking at school, then I was going to get a spanking at home. It's a good rule, by the way. If your parents are in public school, uh, be careful. Don't be that parent that always assumes the teacher's the bad guy. Sometimes you're getting the wrong side of the story. Except for in my case, of course, when I was in elementary school. So just hypothetically, if I were to ever get a spanking in school which hypothetically hurt a lot when I got them. I was in fourth grade. Three or four of us got spankings at school. And I figured this out. You get a spanking at school, you get a spanking at home. Only if your parents find out you got a spanking at school. Well, that's easy enough. I just don't have to talk about it. And man, I was coasting along. Things were going great. I lived in a small town. Yep. My mom happened to be at an event about a week later with, just so happened, those exact boys' mothers. And one of them said something about her son not getting to go somewhere because he was grounded. And my mother had the audacity to ask her and get into her business and say, why is he grounded? And there was a little bit of a silence there as the mother realized that my mother didn't know. You know, that was a painful, painful night for me. Little boys, this is free. If you're getting spankings at home from your mother and they don't hurt, do not tell your sister. That has nothing to do with honesty. I'm just telling you, don't tell your sister. I know about spankings and they didn't hurt. But from that moment on, there was nothing between me and that leather belt and they began to hurt. Well, anyway... It's, it's plain as day. We know this with our children. When we're not honest, it eventually finds us out. Well, let's look briefly then at Ephesians chapter 4 again as we do a little bit more of a topical study than, than usual here. Just a few short verses. Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 25. 
Again, really tying it back, going back to what the, the heart of the commandment is, that all of our dishonesty is against somebody. It's against God, for sure. And it gets, it's against our brothers and sisters. So he's talking here about putting away the old life. If we come to know Christ, to set aside the old life. And picking up in verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore... Laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see, what we've tried to teach our children, and I know many of you have done the same thing, is that when you are dishonest, you can't be close. When we lie, we can't be close to God, and we can't be close to other people. That's certainly true in the home with our parents and siblings and our marriage. But it's true in the church, too. We have to be honest with each other. We're honest and need to be honest even in what we try to promote about ourselves. Now, today, I know many of you figured I didn't remember how to tie a tie, but today I'm in a tie. But it reminds me that sometimes we like to come to church and pretend that we're perfect. And we know it's not true about ourselves. We know it's not true about each other. But the devil begins to lie to us and say, man, that family, that couple, they've got it together. What's wrong with your family? What's wrong with your couple? Why can't you all be perfectly Christian in your marriage? Why can't you be perfect Christians in your family? And we do each other a disservice. There's nothing wrong with, with wearing a tie, but it's how we wear it. There's nothing wrong with putting on our Sunday best It's not about the clothing. It's about the attitude that we try to project. Being honest. You know what? I want to praise the Lord alongside of you today because I'm a sinner who has been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am one who the the Lord looks down at and he doesn't look at my sin, praise the Lord. He doesn't look at all the things he could look at. And like Paul, I would declare, as Paul said, that he was the chief of sinners, but not considered sinner by the Lord, because the Lord looks down. And if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, He sees what Jesus did for you. So that I can say with you, hey, brother and sister, I'm not perfect. I'm coming here because I need to be here today. I'm coming here because I want to rejoice and celebrate what God has done. I want to learn more in my Christian life so I can keep growing in the Lord. And when we do that, we not only help ourselves, we help each other, we help the lost and the unchurched who visit with us. And I'm thankful. This is who you are, but I want to celebrate with you and encourage you to continue to do this. I want you to continue to be a church that when people come in, they find beggars telling other beggars where to find bread, as someone said. That they find people who may be in ties, may be not in ties, may be in all sorts of apparel, but are just real people. And say, you come on in. We welcome you. This ought to be the most welcoming place in the city. Now, if the word is presented in the Bible study class, the word is presented in the sermon, we ought to all be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable every week when I preach to you because I've got a bunch of fingers pointing back at me. I've had to live with this text through the week. So we ought to be uncomfortable as we seek to line our lives up with the word of God. But it ought to be the most welcoming, real 
authentic place in all the world. Young people, old people, middle-aged people are really looking for the same thing in a church. Oh, there may be a music style here and there that they want to find and get pretty close, but really the most important thing people are looking for in a church is authenticity. Those folks aren't putting on airs. Those folks aren't acting on Sunday in a way that's not true on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. It's a form of corporate church honesty. We're sinful people who've been saved by the grace of God, and we're still growing, striving to be more and more like Him. So honesty affects everything from my personal walk to God with God. I can't be really, really close with God if I'm lying to him. I mean, why would you lie to God anyway? It doesn't make any sense. He knows everything. He already knows it, but we do it. We lie to God as we lie to ourselves about our walk with God. Pour it all out, brothers and sisters. In your daily walk with God and throughout the day, just pour it out to God. He already knows about it. He died to pay for it. So tell him the truth. Scripture says, he who conceals his sin, in Psalm, Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin will not prosper. God puts up walls, as it were, to keep you from moving on, to keep you from prospering, because you're concealing your sin primarily to God. You may need to talk to someone else about it to break that sin, but even just to God, you're concealing your sin, and God says, no, 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 we've got to deal with this. I already paid for it. Let's talk about it so we can break this in your life. But it goes on to say, he who confesses it and forsakes it. Confesses it to God primarily. And then again, maybe to a trusted Christian friend so that you can break it. With a desire to forsake it. A desire to go the other way. Not in perfection, but in your heart of hearts saying, God, I come to you and I admit, I'm wrong in this. I've sinned against you. Help me. Help me, God. Show me the steps I need to take to grow, to forsake this. He who conceals his sin will not prosper. But the scripture says he who confesses it and forsakes it will find compassion. It's painful to be truthful about it, but there's compassion on the other side of that confession and that forsaking of our sin. Parents, we've got to be teaching our children how to tell the truth. And unfortunately, it's not just by telling them what to do. It's by showing them. They watch us. They know if we're telling the truth, if we're not. They know if we're cutting corners in honesty. Several years ago, we were in Oregon. We were driving home from a friend's house who lived out in the country. And one of those six drivers I mentioned was driving and and getting their hours in. And I was several rows back in that big van with all ten of us. We had a taillight out the State policeman pulled us over and just very nice, just checking on things. And he shined his flashlight back. And in Oregon, it's a state law that no matter what seats you're in, you have to have a seatbelt on. Maybe the same in New Mexico. I don't know. Everybody got the seatbelt on? And I was silent. I didn't. Didn't lie. Kind of. But I did because I didn't say anything. Well, I happened to know this this state policeman lived pretty close to us, just a small world kind of thing. And so the next day, I went and knocked on his door. I didn't know he'd worked all night. I think I woke him up, poor guy. Knocked on his door and said, hey, I live a few streets over, and I'm also the pastor of Valley Baptist Church over here. You stopped us last night, and you said everybody had their seatbelts on. I didn't say no or yes. I didn't answer. 
but I didn't have my seatbelt on. Just wanted to come and uh, make that right with you. Well, he threw me in jail for no, he didn't. <laughs> as as you know, he he you know he was fine. But our kids are, are watching, and they know. And so sometimes we have to take the painful step that's going to help them to learn how to tell the truth in their lives. They're watching. Truth, difficult sometimes, but it brings freedom. And as going to the title of the sermon, here's the deal. Teenagers, children, adults, if you just tell the truth, it's a lot easier. You don't have to have a good memory. You don't have to remember what you said the last time you told that lie and make sure they match up. You don't have to remember what you told to the one parent to make sure it matches what you told to the other parent. You just tell the truth. It may not be easy, but it's a lot more simple and helps you to sleep better every single night. When I came to Christ as my Savior, I was 16 years old, almost 17 years old. One of the greatest joys that I had in my new Christian life was telling my mom the truth. She was a single mother. She was raising me, and she knew that I was lying to her every single day of my life. She knew it, and she couldn't do anything about it. I hated it. When I came to Christ, one of the very best things was to be able to sit down with her, rejoice that I'd finally come to Christ as a result of her and and her prayers and so many other people's prayers, but then from that moment on to know I didn't have to lie. I could tell the truth because, you see, that's when we became close when we could have honesty in our relationship. Where are you? Are you close to God or not because you're not honest with God? Are you close to others or not because you're not honest with them? Deal with God about it today. As you become a truth teller, it will make you a clean vessel through whom God can work. And we think that if others know that we're imperfect, that it will be discouraging? No, it's encouraging. Nobody likes to be around a perfect person because it tells us that we can't be perfect and there must be something wrong with us. But we can be around those who are honest. Yes, we push, we strive to follow Christ and we push each other along the path to follow Christ. But in the right setting, in the right way, being truthful that we're not there yet. Your pastor's not there yet. I have a long, long way to go. I serve a faithful, forgiving God. And he's taught me many, many things over the years. And he's helped me to build some things in my life. But I'm not there yet. We're all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Let's pray.